0: Is there an amen there? Well, good morning again. As I mentioned earlier, Pastor Bruno will be back with us uh, next Sunday. So yesterday marked the 244th birthday of our great nation. And 244 years may seem like a long time. but really 12 generations So in 12 generations, or 244 years, I think if we were brutally honest with ourselves, we can say, as a nation, we have some flaws. We have some warts. We certainly have not been a perfect nation. But to be fair, I think we also have to admit, in 244 years, God has richly blessed our nation. I mean... Despite its many flaws, we are still the strongest and richest nation in the world. I I served 10 years in the United States Navy, and I had the privilege of traveling around a good portion of the world. And I can stand here this morning and tell you there's no place I would rather be than here in this country. You know what? We also have a very rich spiritual history. I mean, for example, it was founded by pious pilgrims and puritans. I mean, two of the greatest religious revivals of all time occurred in the United States, the First and Second Awakenings. And Reverend John Witherspoon, a Presbyterian minister, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And almost all of our founding fathers extolled Christianity and its morality. That wonderful song we used to sing, I guess, in elementary school, My Country, Tis of Thee, was written by a Baptist minister, Samuel Francis Smith. And the Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1892 by another Baptist minister, Francis Bellamy. And the words, And God we trust, are traced to the efforts of Reverend W.R. Watkinson. So when you look at our nation as a whole, God has clearly shed his grace upon this nation. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. In the early 1800s, of all people, a French diplomat, Alexis D. Tocqueville, and I probably mispronounced his last name, visited the United States to discover what made America so great. He traveled across its vast lands uh, looking for greatness in its harbors, its rivers, its lakes, uh, its, its fields. Um, and then he, he, he even studied its schools, its military, our Constitution, our Congress. But he still could not find the secret of what made America so great. It was not until he went into its churches and heard from its pulpits, as he would say, aflamed with righteousness, that he found the answer. And when he returned to Europe, this is what he wrote: "America is great, because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great." Sadly, in some ways, our country has ceased to be good. And in some ways, it ceases to no longer be great. Why do I say that? We once stood for the Ten Commandments. But today, the Ten Commandments are mocked and are often illegal to even mention in public settings. When the Founding Fathers reached a deadlock in the Continental Congress and simply could not agree on a crucial point, oftentimes one member would get up out of his seat, kneel on the floor, and invite the rest of Congress to pray with him for wisdom. Today, prayer is illegal in our public schools. How can that be? Violence, crime, abortion... Immorality, racism, drunkenness, pornography, governmental corruption, rampant materialism, an insatiable desire for sinful pleasures, and every imaginable sin are an apt description for America today. And yet, on every American coin or a paper bill is the motto In God we trust. And God we trust. Unfortunately, the motto on our currency no longer holds true for some of our people. But it must hold true for those of us who name the name of Christ Jesus. It has to. It must. So here's the question this morning that we must answer. How do we transfer the motto and God we trust from our paper bill into our hearts. Fair enough. Psalm thirty-three, twelve says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage." This morning we'll take a look at Psalm thirty-three and the rest of this, rest of this passage. But I'm hoping that you see three principles in this chapter that we as believers should observe when we are to be blessed by God. And by the way, we can. And I believe we will. But before we do that, allow me to pray one more time. Please bow with me. Lord God, this pulpit is not mine. It's yours. So the voice and words should be as well. Let nothing... Nothing here be said that does not begin with the gospel of your Son and end in life conforming to your will. Speak to me that I may speak for you. Speak through me that I may speak to those who want to hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to look at Psalm 33, chapters 12 through 22. I'll have it um, here for you. Or you can follow along in your your Bibles. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes, observes all their deeds the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The warhorse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon upon us, even as we hope in you. I want you to see three principles from this passage of Scripture. The first principle is, we must have a reverence for God. We must. Verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Now, the idea of fearing God in the Bible really encompasses two, two main ideas. All right? uh, one is a fear of judgment for willful sin that we do not repent or forsake of. Right? The author of Hebrews, oh, I'm sorry, back up here. Writes this Hebrews ten twenty nine through thirty one, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine; I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, knowing that un- we're all going to be judged, but knowing that unbelievers are going to be judged the way they will be should give us all a sense of reaching the lost. But that's a subject in a sermon for another day. The second more common phrase, fear the Lord, is used in a Bible as an idea of reverence and respect for God and the things of God. You see, fearing the Lord means to be in awe of his holiness, to give him complete reverence and to honor him as the God of great glory, the God of great purity, the God of great majesty, the God of great power. For example, when God revealed himself to the Israelites uh, in Mount Sinai uh, with thunder and lightning and a thick cloud of the mountains with a loud trumpet blast, they all trembled in fear at the power of God. Matter of fact, they even begged Moses to deliver God's message to them so that they wouldn't have, would not have to encounter God themselves. They understood the power and the majesty of God. Still disobeyed him, but they understood that. Our nation desperately needs to return to a reverence to God. But today, many in our culture have gone far beyond Disrespect to outright blasphemy to the name of God, to the name of God. You know, I know that as a pastor, I've been working here, wow, sixteen or seventeen years now, and I know I I, I work and I pretty much live in a bubble. I mean, I'm not around a lot of unwholesome talk. I very rarely ever hear the uh, the Lord's name in vain. I'm around you all, I'm around Christians, and that's a good thing. But several years ago, my wife and I took a couple days off to celebrate our wedding anniversary. And we went to Ocean City because we just love the beach. And it was sometime in June, and it just happened to be Senior Week. You know, Senior Week, thousands of seniors converged to Ocean City uh, to blow off some steam and to celebrate their graduation, which was fine, it was fine. But as we were walking along the boardwalk, I was shocked at the profanity I heard from our graduates. And then what really hurt was the fact that they were taking the Lord's name in vain. I heard GD this, GD that. And you know, it broke my heart to see the holy and precious name become such a common um Profanity. It, it, it broke my heart. I, I was saddened. But you know what? Even some people today who claim to be Christians watch and laugh at movies that mock God and they mock the things of God. Or use God's name in vain without even giving that a second thought. How many times have you heard the Lord's name be, be, be used as or mentioned as the man upstairs? The big guy in the sky. The one I hate the most, the big kahuna, right? That is just disrespectful. When people lose their reverence for God, it's a step on the road to destruction. And look, when we gather to worship the Lord, let's remember that though he is our father and we are on familiar terms with him, I get that, but you know what, he's also the holy one, the almighty one, the Lord our righteousness, the God who sees our hearts, he who is judge, He is the only God and he is the only one that we should honor, worship, give glory to and have reverence for. Listen, if reverence for the Lord ever returns to our nation, it has to start with the church. It has to start with us. Maybe the best place for it to start is when we gather to worship. But If this is the only time it happens, the only time we revere God, aren't we being a little hypocritical ourselves? May we have a reverence for God everywhere, in church and out of church. And by the way, the best way to do that is to live a godly life. But it has to start with us. A second principle I want to touch on uh, this morning to help us to internalize the motto in God we trust is we must have a dependence on God. Okay? We need to revere God, but we must have a dependence on God. Now, this idea is fleshed out in verses 30, uh, I'm sorry, 13 through 20, but it's summarized wonderfully in verse 21, which says, For our hearts is glad in him. I love this, because we trust in his holy name. I love that. If we as a people of God in our nation would learn to uh, to depend upon the Lord instead of worldly things, then maybe verse 12 would apply to us again. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But let's take a look at how this idea of dependence on God just weaves its way through verses uh, 13 through 20. Verses thirteen and fifteen remind us that the Lord takes note of a country's regard for Him. It says the Lord looks down from heaven; He sees all the children of man, from where He's—I'm <clears throat> sorry—from uh, where He sits at the throne. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. God is watching over the nations. And the people of this earth. And he's weighing them in the balance. And listen, if God is their Lord, right, they will be blessed. If not, no matter how strong they are, how powerful they are, they will eventually face God's judgment. For centuries, listen, nations and people think that the source of their power is their military might. But verses 16 and 17 actually says something different. It says the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Just do this for a moment. Substitute the words, these modern words for ancient terms. Let me just read this verse one more time by substituting modern words for ancient terms. There is no precedent prime minister, dictator that can be saved by a big army. It's not military strength that that protects us. A tank or a weapon system is a vain thing for safety. That is what this verse is really saying. Now please understand this. I am not suggesting we shouldn't have a strong military. I absolutely believe we should. But it does mean a military cannot save a country from God's destruction if there's not a reverence and a dependence on God. The psalmist goes on to say in the next three verses, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. there have always been evil, violent, despicable people in our nation's history right alongside those who love and fear the Lord. But for those who love God and fear God have often protected our country from destruction just as God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if he found just a few just and righteous people who would be willing to be salt and light in their communities. I realize that not every American will become a Christian or a God-fearing person, unfortunately. I get that. But every Christian ought to live like a Christian and fear God and pray to be salt and light in their communities. Look, we have some formidable enemies in the world. Some are external And some are internal. And look, our external enemies, again, are very, very formidable. I mean, the war on terror continues. Um, The Middle East, need I go there? Russia, China, North Korea are hot spots. And that list can go on and on and on. But unfortunately, I think our internal enemies are more dangerous. The U.S., the U.S. is number one in the world in violent crime. Divorce, teen pregnancies, abortion, and illegal drug use. Character and morality are no longer valued or nurtured as they once were in the past. It appears that the most important value in our society is fun and pleasure. And look, I do not believe the answer is in more education. I believe in education, all right? But nor do I believe it's in more government spending or greater investment in science or technology or even psychology. These will not save America nor give us the values and characters needed to keep us safe for years to come. They won't. These will not restore our morality, which our forefathers all claimed was the bedrock for a free society. So what is the answer? There has to be an answer. And there is. And you already know it. You already know it. And it may come across very simplistic, but you know it. We need to pray for a turning to God. We need to pray for a turning to God. How about a third great spiritual awakening? A verse I've been meditating on for some time, and um, many of you have as well. I mean, it, it, it's everywhere, uh, but it's just so relevant. Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now Look. I recognize this is an Old Testament verse. It was referring to the land of Israel. I know that. But you know what? If you look at the history, oftentimes when the Israelites would sin, God would send plagues. Uh, Matter of fact, verse 13 that I did not read mentioned that. But also, if the Israelites responded by humbling themselves, praying, seeking God's face, and turning from their wicked ways, God would and did forgive them. And God did heal their land. So I think this passage in 2 Chronicles is very, very relevant to us today. Matter of fact, um, excuse me, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.10, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. A, as Christians, we are God's people. We are. And Christians are those who are called by his name. So again, I think this verse is very appropriate. Matter of fact, I've recently read an article uh, by Pastor Steve Gaines. Some of you uh, may know Pastor Gaines, uh, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, And Pastor Gaines um, wrote an article regarding 2 Chronicles 7.14. And he says that there are three precepts that he sees um, in this passage that he sees throughout uh, the Bible. And I just want to, and he believes they're very relevant today, as do I. I just want to share these uh, three precepts with you very, very quickly. Um, humility, hunger, and holiness. See, the first requirement for spiritual healing has to be Humility. If my people are called by my name, what? Humble themselves. Humility is often characterized by genuine gratitude and a lack of arrogance. A modest view of oneself. However, the biblical definition just goes a little bit beyond that. Right? It says this, Humility is a critical and continuous emphasis of godliness in the Bible as we are called to be humble followers of Christ Jesus and trust in the wisdom and salvation of God. Just remember this. Humility is always becoming in a child of God. Always. It has to start there. The second requirement for spiritual healing Is hunger. If my people are called by my name, what? Pray and seek my face. Matthew 5, 6 is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus urged his followers, listen, to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, when you were truly hungry or really thirsty, you long, you long to satisfy that need. And and, and that's what God wants. He wants us to do anything, anything to, to, to meet that need, to truly hunger, to truly thirst for his righteousness. It's an attitude. It's a strong attitude. Have you ever really been hungry in your life? I mean, I'm not talking about missing a meal. Have you ever really been hungry? Have you ever really been thirsty? To be fair, I fasted for a a, a long period of time. I really wasn't hungry. I really wasn't. But I've been thirsty once. Most of you know that I'm a lifelong runner. I've been running for 45 years. And years ago, when I was much younger, I used to run and train for marathons. Now, marathons are 26.2 miles. And I would always run a fall marathon, which meant the bulk of my training would occur in late summer Early fall. And part of my marathon training is I'd put a long run in every Saturday. Now, a long run consisted of 18 miles to 26, and each week I'd just up it a little bit. And so I'd run early Saturday uh, to get the run in. Now, this was back in the day, and I would chart my course to make sure if there were convenience stores along the way so I could stop by and get some water or Gatorade. And so I'd always carry money with me. Well, one Saturday, I took off, feeling really good. It was warm, but feeling really good. I just bypassed the first convenience store, first mistake. Feeling good. Get to the second convenience store, and I'm about 12 miles out, which means I need to run another 12 miles to get home. I walk into the store, and I realize I left my money on the dresser. This is before cell phones, all right? I had 12 miles to get home. It was really hot at that point, upper 80s, humid. Now, if I was really, really smart, and obviously I'm not, I would have begged the store clerk to give me a bottle of water and I would have come back to pay him. But I decided to run back home. I was about five miles from home and I stopped sweating. That's not a good sign, right? And then I was getting dizzy and my eyesight was gone. I was thirsty like I've never been thirsty before. And you know what? I would have done anything for water and I did. I ran across the street into somebody's front yard, turned their outside water spigot on, and drank from it. I didn't knock on the door. I really didn't care at that point. Now I had to get water. The point being, I thirsted and I, need, and I did anything for that. And I would have done anything, I guess within reason. This is what God wants. He wants us to thirst and to hunger for righteousness and the things of God, to really go after it. It's an attitude. It is. Now, the final requirement for spiritual healing is holiness. If my people who are called by my name turn from their wicked ways, holiness comes by the means of repenting from sin. And we know what repentance is it means to confess your sin and to turn away from sin. Trust me, that will lead to true holiness when you can humble yourself. Examine yourself and deal with yourself. These three emphases in 2 Chronicles 7.14, humility, hunger, and holiness, are obviously much needed with, among Christians today. And just because this passage was not written to America, it doesn't mean that we Christians in America cannot benefit from its precepts. We all know First Timothy, Three, six. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All scripture. My desire this morning was to share a message of hope and encouragement. I know what some of you are thinking, All right, Dennis, when does that start? All right. I, 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 I get that. But you know, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is that passage. To me, the passage of hope. the passage of encouragement. Because I believe God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I really do. And I believe if we, God's people, we do these three things, to, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to hunger for his righteousness, and to seek holiness through repentance of sin, I truly, truly believe God will bless our nation. I believe that. I believe that. I hope you do as well. I believe that. It's not too late. The last principle I want to share with you is found in uh, verses 18 and 22. 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love. And 22 says, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The psalmist is saying that we should cast ourselves on the unfailing love of God. You know, I I think many of our problems we're facing as a nation is a lack of hope. It's a lack of hope. Can I tell you, I was really encouraged this week, Independence Weekend, just driving around, just seeing red, red, white, and blue. I mean, I don't know, it's just, it's been a hope. It's been hope, and it's just been very, very encouraging, you know, but you know what? A lack of hope just seems to be something many of us are facing this morning, but even poor people sometimes, sometimes turn to crime because they do not see a way out. They've lost hope, all right? We've seen young people often turn to gangs, Because they have no hope. And how sad that some of our young people turn to gangs because they feel loved by the gangs. They have a sense of community because they have no hope in the world. Depressed people turn to drugs, alcohol, and suicide because they have no hope. But the word of God is hope. The Bible is a book of hope. It is. The psalmist writes, why are you cast down, O oh, my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation, my God. We have to be hopeful people because we are Christians. We need to hope in the Lord, and hope is in His unfailing love. And his, listen, it is through prayer and His word where we find that hope. Prayer is such a powerful, powerful tool that we need to utilize more. During the uh, dark days of the American Revolution, where the Continental Army had experienced several setbacks, a farmer who lived near the battlefield approached Washington's camp without being seen or heard. That's a little frightening right there. Suddenly, his Ears caught an earnest voice, raised an agonizing prayer. Coming nearer, he saw it was the great General George Washington himself. Down on his knees, in the snow, his cheeks wet with tears, he was asking God for assistance and guidance. The farmer crept away and returned home. He said to his family, it's going to be all right. We're going to win this war. His wife said, well, what makes you think so? Well, said the farmer, I heard General Washington pray out in the woods today, such a fervent prayer I have never heard. And God will surely hear and answer that kind of praying. We all know what happened. It happened because Washington and many others got on their knees and they prayed for our nation. I was, um, you know, I only preach maybe four or five times a year, and I was looking back on some of the messages I recently gave, and I noticed. Um, my previous few sermons, just put an emphasis on prayer. Because God's been working on my heart as it relates to prayer. A um, little quick story. Um, some of you know, I've got neighbors here, we're building a house, a new house down in Golden Beach. My wife and I are the ultimate planners. So last year, um, we planned to put our current house on the market March 17th. I mean, we actually picked a date. And we worked all winter, get the house ready, put the house on the market. COVID-19. All right? House went on the market. A few days later, we were in shelter in place. What a couple showings. Now, both Kathy and I were praying separately, and we were praying for God's timing. Right? That's a fair prayer. Lord, your timing. But we were really becoming anxious. I said, Kathy, are you praying? Yeah, I'm praying. Dennis, are you praying? Yeah, I'm praying. Well, we're still anxious. It was, we went through March, April, early May, and we had a couple showings. And we we're just really getting discouraged. And we had people praying for us. And finally, I said, Kathy, we need to pray together. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm being transparent here. i marriage married for 38 years, been a Christian for a long time. I've prayed with my wife, but I've never prayed consistently with her. So, sometime in May, early May, we started praying every morning together. Yes, our motive was to sell the house, all right? I'll be honest. But we started praying for a lot of things, our nation, our community, uh, our family, and of course, the house. And again, we said, Lord, your timing, you know, and, and we would have to normally confess our anxiousness to the Lord. But you know what? We, we kept praying. But we also prayed for wisdom as it related to the selling of the house. First, second day of June, the Lord just revealed, "You need to lower the price." All right, and we did, and boom, we got a showing two days later. All right, it was on a Thursday. Kathy said, "Hey, we got a showing for Friday." I said, "Fantastic!" Woke up Friday morning, and that showing canceled. we like, we're just dejected, but we prayed, and I said, "You know what? We need to step out in faith." So it was Friday. The Friday before we reopened the church, right, first weekend in June, I said, I'm gonna pray for three showings on Saturday. And I'm gonna pray for a bidding war, right? Why not, right? So we prayed. I went to work, went to the farmhouse. Hour later, Kathy texts me, we got a first showing for Saturday. Yes. Hour later, another showing. That's two, one more, right? Well, we went all day Friday, and we just had two showings. But we continued to pray for a, a, a third showing. Long story short, on Saturday, both showings were in the morning. So we had our uh, daughter's dog. So we took the dog up to the trails just to get out of the house, and we're walking along the trails. Kathy gets another email. We've got a third showing in the afternoon. All right, Lord. We need a bidding war, right? Well, the first two showings kind of gave us some feedback immediately saying, wow, love the house. They're going to make a decision today on the house. I mean, we were really, really encouraged, right? Heard nothing from the third show, but you know what? All day Saturday, we're just really excited. But I went to bed Saturday with no offers. And once again, I was discouraged, but I kept praying. Well, Sunday morning, woke up, beautiful Sunday morning. First day, we reopened the church. I was really, really pumped. Going to church. Beautiful day. Walking out the door, Kathy gets a text from a realtor saying, The first showing had a bunch of questions about the house. They're really interested. Yes. All right. So I'm thinking, We're getting an offer today. What a great day to get an offer. You know what I mean? On a Sunday. All right. Well, Kathy's sitting with me during the second service. And right before the end, she gets up and she leaves the worship center. After the service, she said, Hey, we got an offer. We got a firm offer. I said, Great. From the first showing? No, from the third showing. Really? All right, well, a realtor was driving down to Virginia to visit some friends, she says, look, I really can't look at this offer. You have it, the firm offer. But I sent an email to the other two showings saying, you know what? The Fays have an offer, so if, you want, if you're interested, you better put an offer in today. All right? So Sunday night, a realtor comes back and says, hey, we've got an offer. It's a firm offer. Um, the first showing, the client to get into a bidding war. But the second showing says, yes. We're putting an offer in tonight. Please ask the Fays not to do anything until they get that offer. So we went to bed Sunday night really encouraged. We wake up Sunday, and we have two offers. Not only that, the first offer revised their offer. So we got two offers for the full price. Matter of fact, they both wrote letters saying why they really wanted the house. Not only that, the caveat for Kathy and I is we wanted a rent-back agreement. So, the one offer we accepted said, Absolutely, take as long as you like. You can rent the house back as long as you like, which was the ultimate prayer request we had Lord, your timing. Now, I'm sharing this with you, not because God answered that prayer. God doesn't always answer prayers like that, all right? I know that. But this is what he did he gave us hope. As we started praying together, we had hope, we were encouraged. We trust it in the Lord. Prayer is such a powerful thing; it really is. All right, enough of that. Let's finish this message up. What's the application here today? What's the application? Number one, let's begin with a reverence for God. Do you use God's name irreverently? I mean, well, I mean, the third commandment is what? Is this, "Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain." Are you irreverent when when you gather for worship with God? Do you come to church without preparation of your heart, without repentance, without passion when you are singing? Remember, when we gather to worship, we're gathering and praying homage to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Are we ready to worship when we walk in this door? How do you live? How do you live? Do you put your time in on Sunday but live a life of sin and disobedience the rest of the week? We need to pray. Lord, help us to live reverently, realizing that God is with us everywhere we go. He sees us. He just doesn't see us on Sunday morning. He sees us all the time. Secondly, we must return to a dependence on God. We have to, folks. Have you committed yourself 100% to God by being saved and following the Lord's word in every area of your life? If you are a believer, we must learn to, to depend on God. During all your trials and tribulations, I've been a believer for a long time and I had to be reminded of that as we were going through the things we were going through as a family. And finally, are you hoping in God's unfailing love? Are you really putting your hope in that? Whatever you're going through in this life, you can be assured of God's unfailing love. His steadfast love will be with you through every problem in life if you trust and hope in him. My dear friend and mentor, Dr. Jerry Small, tells me all the time, God is on the throne. God is still on the throne. Don't forget that. God is good. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I believe the best days are still ahead for us. I believe that. I really do. We have an amazing God. We're going through a very difficult season as a nation. But you know what? What a golden opportunity for the church to be the church. Right? Amen? We have an opportunity, people are looking for truth, and we have it. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. Let's pray. Father, ah, this has been a difficult season. It's been a difficult year. But Lord, we know that you are truth. We know that you are in control. We know that you're allowing these things for a reason. Father, I pray that we would truly be the church, that we would seek you, that we would turn to you, that we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Father, do a work in each one of us individually. Lord, I know it has to start with me. And I pray, Lord, that everyone would feel the same way. It needs to start with them. I thank you for the church. I thank you, Lord, for this season. We're told to be thankful in all things. Lord, may we be relevant. Lord, may our lampstand continue to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. Father, we come in every single uh, Sunday and we, we see that, that statement on the wall. To live and to love like Jesus and help others to do the same. May we live like Jesus. May we love like Jesus. And may we help others to do the same. That's our prayer. Finish this message in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name.